Welcome to the New City Fellowship West End Sermon Podcast. We hope and pray this message equips, empowers, and encourages you. And now, today's sermon. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open with me to Luke chapter 11. And we're going to be in verses 1 to 13. Now we're doing a little bit of a change. Pastor Steve is under the weather. It's good to see you, Grace. Glad that you're recovering, and we pray for Pastor to recover. So he was going to preach this week, um, but he he and I switched. So I'm going to preach the passage I was going to do next week, and then next week, Pastor Steve will preach what he was going to do today. So we're going a little bit out of order in Luke, but, uh, but I think the things tie together. So you remember that we've been in our series that we've been calling after what Luke says is good news that brings great joy, and it is for all the people. And you remember last week we looked at in Luke 10, really that good Samaritan passage, and we talked about the idea of reversing the question. Well, now we come to some very specific teaching by Jesus on prayer to his disciples. And I was reminded just to give a shout out to the prayer team. Did y'all know we have a prayer team? Stephanie and Jennifer and Ed are part of that team, along with another member of New City South. Amen. Thank God for them. Thank God for them. And they pray for us as a body, but in particular, they'll take prayer requests from each of the leaders of each of the ministry teams and be praying for things going on throughout the entire life of the church. So I just want to say we thank you guys for that. Thank you for that labor of love and prayer. And so y'all could be given this sermon, but, but I am today. So anyway, Luke 11, 1 to 13, I'm simply calling it, Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. And this is Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer, and then a couple of parables after that. Hear now the reading of God's word from Luke 11. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, Say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And kids, here's your verse here, verse 9. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. Go back a little bit. And to the one who knocks, it will be open. Thank you. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more 
will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. This is God's Word. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for what Your Word testifies about itself, that it is God-breathed and it's useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness. So we pray, Lord, that you might work in us towards all those ends in this time that we have together this afternoon. Holy Spirit, thank you for your presence that we feel so strongly and deeply in this place right now and where we're gathered online to watch. We pray that you might continue to move among us right now in the preaching of the word. Help us to understand these words. Bring them to our understanding. And not only that, help us to be able to have power. Fill us with yourself so that we can walk in light of what we talk about. Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us in this room, we ask, for your glory. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Now, when I was about eight or nine years old, I remember having an assignment at school. And it was to interview someone about their job. And we had to come up with a list of interview questions and, and all these things. And we were going to interview them and then present the findings in our class. So we had to interview somebody about their job. And I had this great idea. My basketball coach, who was one of my, my friend's dads, he actually played in the NBA just for a couple years. But he played. And so I had in my I am going to interview him because that is absolutely the coolest job I can ever think of. He played in the NBA. I had all these questions that I wanted to ask him and so on. So what we planned was, is after practice, I was going to interview him. But something happened and practice got canceled. And I don't know if y'all do this, but it was the day before the assignment was due. Yes. And so I'm like, uh-oh, what am I going to do? And so I was talking with my mom about it, and I think, well, I'm just going to interview my mom. Because she she's a nurse. She was an RN, a registered nurse. And she said, why don't you interview your dad? And I said, why would I do that? My dad was a pastor. And I'm like, I'm not going to interview him. She's like, no, go ahead. Go and interview him. And so I'm like, all right, all right. I guess it's due tomorrow, so I'll interview him. So I went and I asked my dad these questions. And actually, as I was thinking about it, I started to get more and more interested. Because I really wanted to know, why do you do this? Because I couldn't figure it out for myself. You're like, you get up every week and talk in front of all of these people. And, and I could only see a little bit, right, the tip of the iceberg of what went on. But I could tell even then that was a hard job. And I knew he didn't make a lot of money. And there was a lot of things that were going on. And I was kind of curious myself, why would somebody choose to do that? Right, his dad was a pastor, so maybe I thought they made him do it. I didn't know. So anyway, I, I will never forget how he answered me. I don't know if, if you ever have somebody say something to you and you have no idea what they're talking about, but it sticks with you. And then years later, it comes back and you're like, oh, that's what they meant. I was sitting, I was talking with my dad and he told me that he had graduated from college and he went to work as a social worker in New York City and then he left that job to go to seminary because he felt called to be a pastor. And I said, what do you mean? How did you, how did you feel called? Why did you do that? And he said, God called me to become a pastor. God called me. And I remember, I'm eight or nine years old. I'm like, what? 
What does that mean? God called you. Why did you answer? If, like, why didn't you let, this is before voicemail, right? We had the, the answering machine. Why didn't you let it go to the machine? Why did you answer that call? But it stuck with me. And years later, I understood what he was talking about, that there was a call from God on his life, and that's what he was pursuing. I learned an awful lot about my father that day, and as I kept reflecting on that years later. And so on the one hand, I got the assignment done, right? I got it done for the next day. I don't know what my teacher thought about that. He, he did it because he was called by God. Okay, I don't know what she thought. But not only did I complete the assignment, but I learned an awful lot about my father in that moment. And here, as we look at this passage, here the disciples, actually they come to Jesus, if you heard the very beginning of that, with an assignment. And they wanted to know, Lord, how do you pray? Teach us how to pray. And the reason they're asking that, partly they observe Jesus' prayer life. And they see that he is a praying man. And so they want to learn to pray like him. But also, they look, all the different groups of disciples have their own way to pray. Right? It mentions in the text about John the Baptist and his disciples. They have a way to pray. So they're like, we need a way to pray. Just like sororities or fraternities, right? You have your own handshake or something like that. We need a prayer to be Jesus' disciples. And so they got the assignment. But what they also got was a whole lot more. They learned a whole lot more about the one that we pray to, who is our Father. So what happens here in the passage? What does he teach us here about prayer? And, and honestly, before we get into that, why do we need to hear this? Why does this even matter? Well, one, maybe we don't pray at all. And maybe this is a, a first step or first stage for us in a relationship with God and being able to pray. Or maybe for many of us, we struggle, right, in prayer and, and being consistent or, or what to say and how to approach God. And here he shows us. And for all of us, we need to understand a whole lot more about the one that he calls us to pray to, our Father in heaven. So we're just going to look at two things today. Lord, teach us to pray. We're going to look at the format of our prayer and the Father of our prayer, all right? The format and the Father. And I have to make a confession. I'm not sure if we're going to get to both. I was looking at this, and I'm trying to figure out it might be too long to put in one sermon, all right? Y'all will let me know, right, if it's, if it's going too long. But, but we'll see. everybody's like, mm -hmm, we will let you know. But we'll see. I might have to do first half today and the second half um, in a couple weeks when we come back. But we'll see. We'll get to as much as we can because there's so much here. So let's start, first of all, with the format of our prayer that he gives us. What is the format? And I don't know if y'all noticed this, right, as we were reading it. That's a little different than the one Pastor Anthony led us in, isn't it? The one in pa that Pastor led us to is a lot longer because that's the one from the Gospel of Matthew. But the one here in Luke's is a little bit more truncated than that one. And actually it comes at a different point. Do you remember where Jesus is on his way to? Remember, we talked about that. He's on his way where? To Jerusalem, why? Because he's going there to die. So this is towards the end of his ministry, whereas in Matthew, it's in the Sermon on the Mount. That's early on in Jesus' ministry. So I don't know if he gave it to him. He probably talked about this more than once. I'm not sure. But anyway, here's where there's three parts to this prayer. There is an address, and then there are two different kinds of petitions. 
So let's start with the address. And how does he address it? What is the address of the passage? Very simply what? In verse 2. Father. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father. And then he goes on to the rest. Now that even of itself is wild. We could have a whole sermon on each one of these things. And it's interesting, you look back in the Old Testament, there are places where God is described as a father in the Old Testament, right? You see that in a lot of the Psalms, you see that in other places. But actually nowhere in the Old Testament, at least that I could find, is God addressed as father by anybody. They can talk about him being a father, but nobody addresses him as father. Now, if you were here last week, you remember, I didn't get to talk about these verses from chapter 10, um, 21 to 22. Jesus is there praying and he's talking about his relationship with his father, right? He's saying, and the father is going to reveal himself to anybody I choose to reveal him to. And here, that's what Jesus is doing. He is inviting them in. So it's not just Jesus that's calling him and addressing him as father. He's inviting his disciples. And by extension, he's inviting all the disciples. He's inviting us into calling God Father and relating to him as a child to a parent. Now, I know for many folks, as you think about the idea of God being a father, that is a difficult thing to think about. I know in my own relation, my, my father and I had a hard relationship all growing up my entire childhood. And honestly, mine was better than a lot of my friends. I had friends that didn't know who their father was. Or I had friends that wished that they didn't know because they had such a hard relationship with their father. And maybe there's many of you that come from that same kind of background. And one of the things that we will do is that we will say, you know what? If God is father, then God must be like all of those fathers that we saw growing up. And it's very easy to apply that. But even the very best of fathers, the very best, at their very best, they are just a glimpse of the kind of good, good father that our God is. And I pray even right now, that God might, even in our time today, he might bring some healing in that relationship with God as father because he's not like those other fathers. He is a father like no other. And Jesus invites us in to that relationship with him. This is a fundamental part of our identity. You know that verse in 1 John, I didn't put this on there, I'm sorry, but it says, how great the love, the father has lavished upon us that we should be called what? The children of God. And you can almost feel the enthusiasm of the writer just saying that, oh, how great it is that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. Now, some of y'all grew up in the church and you had, um, you might have what they call testimony service, right? Sometimes you, you'll be there, you, people come up to testify. And somebody will come up, they say, you know, I believe I'm going to testify while I have a chance, yeah. right? I want to honor my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And, and, and they go through the whole thing, and then they, they testify about what God has done in their lives. Do you know one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to have testimony service in your heart? Yeah. 
to remind you that you are a child of God. So in those moments when the evil one is whispering things in you about what you've done and, and where you're from and you ain't nothing, you ain't nobody, you ain't this, you need to call on the Holy Spirit and say it's time for testimony service and the Holy Spirit will step up. I believe I'm going to testify while I have a chance. I came to tell you that you're a beloved daughter of the King. You are a beloved son of your heavenly father, Jesus Christ. I'm going to testify to your spirit right now to let you know who you are and whose you are. You're a child of God. He testifies to remind us that that's who we are. Now, I said there's also petitions. The first set of petitions after the address, you have what I call the thou petitions. Thou, right? That's the, the fancy religious language, but we're talking to God about who he is, praising God for who he is and what he's doing. What does it say there? Hallowed be, put, go ahead, back to verse two. Hallowed be your name. What does it mean to hallow something? It means to treat it as holy, as sacred, as special. It's set apart from everything else. I was watching a, a commercial, I think it was during the Super Bowl, and it was a Michelob light commercial. And the person walked into the bar and, and they say, I want a beer. And, they, and it wasn't a Michelob light, it was another. And the bartender doesn't even look at him. He takes a bottle, just throws it to him. Over his shoulder, it, it hits the wall and breaks apart. Then another person comes in and says, I want this kind of beer. Person just grabs a bottle and throws it at him. And then the next person comes in and says, I want a Michelob light. And then all of a sudden this classical music comes on in the background and the person grabs a beer and puts it on a pillow and there's a light that's shining on it and he comes and presents it to them because it's hollowed in the commercial. Is that a stretch? A little bit, but you, you get the idea, <laughs> right? You understand what I'm talking about. <laughs> but he's saying that his name will be treated in the same way. And a person's name, it represents not just what you call them. It represents part of who they are. So even the father part, that's part of who God is. And the prayer is that God's name would be glorified and hallowed. And I'll let you in on a secret. Listen, it's going to be whether we pray that or not. <laughs> but he's inviting us in to part of that, to hallow the name of the Lord. And then he says, your kingdom come. And we prayed about that, right? We pray that the churches would work together to extend the work of the kingdom of God. And we've talked about this, right? Whether we're talking about things that we do in formal ministries, whether it's ministries in the church or Restore St. Louis ministries or ministries that's informal in your life with your neighbors, in your household, with your family, on your job, with the people next to you, in your classroom, with your classmates and your teacher. That's a part of God making his kingdom come. And so we pray for that, right? Those are the thou petitions. Now let's go to the next verse. We get to the, what I call the we petitions. So you've got the address, you've got the thou petitions, and then the third and last part is the we petitions. That's us coming to God with the things that we need. And so what's the first one? It says, give us what? Each day our daily bread. And if you think, what's the background from that? Right? It's, if you go back to the Old Testament, when the people have manna, 
from God. They, were, they went out each day, right, and they would pick enough just for that day, or at least that's what they were supposed to do. Because if they got more than that, it would be rotten the next day, unless it was a Sabbath day. But what was that teaching them? That we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes, every word that comes from the mouth of God. But it's teaching us our utter dependence on God for every single thing that we have. And minister is right. I thought when you said that, you were going to say, let me tell you about Togo. That's the place to go, because that's what he always said. But he's right. We depend on God for not just our food. It's signifying everything that we depend on. Everything that you put on today, the lights that you had on, the, the house that you live in, the car that you drove, the shoes on your feet, God provided all of that. And this is reminding us that everything we have, we're depending on him. And, but then second, look at verse 4 right there. It says, not only do we pray, give us our daily bread, we also pray, forgive us our sins. And then it says, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Now, what is that saying? Is it saying God's not going to forgive you if you don't forgive in the right way? Or is that like a precondition to your forgiveness, to your forgiveness from him? Well, one great example of that is if you go to Matthew chapter 18, and that's the place where, where Peter comes up to Jesus and he says, how many times shall I forgive my brother? Seven times? And he was thinking that was a lot. And Jesus says, 70 times seven. And then tells him this parable of an unmerciful servant who comes to this king and he owes the king millions and millions of dollars. And the king says, you know what, I'm going to throw you in jail until this debt is paid. But that debt is even more than he can pay. And he says, please, please, I beg you, don't do it. But then you know what it says the king does? It says he took pity on him, he canceled the debt, and he let him go. He took pity on him, he canceled the debt, and he let him go. That, he forgave the debt. But then that same servant had somebody that owed him like, like $100. And he says, oh, I'm going to have you thrown in jail till you pay me back. And the guy begs him, come on, just give me a little more time. I'll pay you back. And the guy's like, no, 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 you go to jail. And they ran and told the king what happened. And the king is like, oh, no, you're the one that's going to jail. I forgave you of your incredible debt. Shouldn't you have forgiven the one of this small debt? And he's showing you what forgiveness looks like. When we forgive, and I'm not saying that the things that we forgive don't hurt. Certainly they do. But when we forgive, we're imaging God. Because that's what he does with us. Now let me say a word about that. Because that can also get misused, frankly, by people that want to take advantage of that. And, that, and people that want to keep on abusing you. They'll say, oh, you know, Bible says forgive, so you can't hold it against me. And yes, we do forgive, but forgiveness and reconciliation are not the same thing. The reconciliation takes both parties coming together. Forgiveness is with you and God, forgiving that person. But reconciliation takes both. And it takes a while for trust to be rebuilt. Amen. That doesn't come automatically. Yes. And that's all right. You're welcome. But, general, but what we're saying is that we forgive because we've been forgiven an enormous debt by God. And when we forgive, we demonstrate that we have received that debt and we understand 
how much God has forgiven us. And then finally, there's one more part to that. It says, uh, oh, it's right there at the end of verse 4. Lead us not into temptation. And you say, why would God lead us into temptation? Well, he doesn't. The scripture tells us God doesn't tempt us to sin. But at the same time, God does. We do see God testing his people. Why would he do that? On the one hand, to see what's in us, but on the other hand, to strengthen us so that we grow in our faith. And so what this is asking is more that we not yield, that God give us strength, that we don't yield when the temptation comes. Now, any football fans in here, you know that they're, they're in the preseason now, right? All these preseason games are on. What are they doing in those games? What are they doing in practice? They're preparing for when the real games come. What do soldiers do? They train and they train and train for what? When the battle actually comes. And that's what he's saying we do with this petition. We're praying to God, help us, lead us not in the temptation. So when those things come, we are strengthened to be able to go on with them. All right, so that's the format of our prayer. I think we have time. The other point's not as long as this, so we'll be all right. But what's the application? The application is do it. <laughs> that's it, pray. But remember, who are we praying to? Our what? Our father. And what kind of father is he? A good one. You don't believe me? All right, we're going to see it in the next point. But we come to him. And then we come with what kind of petitions? The thou petitions, praising him for who he is and praying for his work. But also the we petitions where we come bringing all of our needs, whether it's for daily bread, whether it's for forgiveness, whether it's for help and temptation, we bring those things to him. But now let's talk about the father of our prayer. And what we have here are in these verses 5 through 13, it's really, it's, it's two what I would call won't he do it parables. And in the middle, there's an application section. So there's, it's a sandwich, right? On the end, there's some won't he do it bread on the outside. And there's an application in the middle that he's calling us to. Let's look at it really quickly. The first one is right there in five through seven. Now, I want you to picture this. Anybody ever stayed in an apartment or a row house where you can hear what, when even the people walking upstairs or right next door, right through the wall? You know what I'm talking about? So there, yeah, we do. <laughs> he said to them, which of you, imagine that as we're, we're listening to the story. So which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. Now this is in a, a culture where hospitality is a huge deal. It brings shame on you and your family if you're not able to be hospitable and probably on your whole village if you're not able to be hospitable. So can you see what happens there? There's somebody that's in need and they come to a person and that person didn't have any bread. So the person who they came to said, I'm going to go get some from my other so I can host them. So does that make sense? And then what happens? He says, he will answer, do not bother me though. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. So they're probably in a, in a one room place. So if the one person gets up to open the door, it's going to wake everybody up. I cannot get up in bed and give you anything. But now verse 8. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give you anything because he is his friend. Because of his impudence, 
And really, that actually means shamelessness. Because of this guy coming to him at midnight and bothering him, he's like, I'll give it to you. Not just because you're my friend, but because you're getting on my nerves. I'll get up and give it to him. And he'll give him whatever he needs. So, so what's, what is that saying? Is that saying that that's how God feels about us? No. This is what in the Bible is called an argument from the lesser to the greater. He's saying, hold up, y'all. If a neighbor who is not getting up to give somebody something because they're his friend, but because they're getting on his nerves, and he'll get up, won't God get up when you come with your need and give you something? Won't he do it? If that neighbor will get up, just because he's getting on somebody else's nerves, won't God, the Father who loves you, who invites you to get up, won't he get up? and give you whatever it is that you long for. Won't he do it? Won't he do it? Now, what's the application? Verse 9. Here's the application. I tell you, ask, and it will be given you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. That's ask, seek, knock. And what's going to happen? Verse 10. Everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, what happens? They find. And the one who knocks, it will be open. Now, wait a minute. Is this name it, claim it stuff? Is this health and wealth? Is this prosperity gospel? Saying whatever you want, God's going to give it to you. One of the great quotes I heard, I think this was from Tim Keller. He said, this isn't saying that, that God's going to give you whatever you ask for. It's saying, though, that he will give you what, whatever you would have asked for if you knew the things that he knew. Imagine being a parent and your child comes to you to ask for stuff. Do you give them everything they ask for? No. Why not? Because you know that's not good for them. But what do you do? You kind of discern their heart, right? And what they're really asking for. And that's what you try to address as a parent. And he's saying that's the same way that God will deal with you. And now we got to the last part. The other won't he do it parable here. Verse 11. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, instead of a fish, will give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Man, that's crazy, right? A father would not do that. But actually, some of us might say, well, I know some fathers that might. I know some evil. That's true. Maybe they would. But he's saying, not God. And look at what he says at the beginning. If you then, who are evil, that's kind of cold, ain't it, Jesus? But what he's saying is that they're fallen, all of us. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And even though you're imperfect and you want to give good gifts to your children, look at what he says. How much more will the Heavenly Father, and then look at what he says here, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. That's actually a little different from the Matthew one. When Matthew talks about that, in Matthew's parable of the same thing, he says, how much more? Or excuse me, if you, then you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. It says, how much more will the Heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? But as we've been going through Luke, one of the things you notice is that he's probably the gospel writer that talks about the Holy Spirit the most. And it makes sense, right? Because he's also the one that writes what book? Acts. Right? 
And so what he says is God is going to give you the best gift. He won't just give you a good gift. He's going to give you the greatest gift that you can even ask for. He will give you himself in the person of the Holy Spirit if you do what? If you what? If you ask, if you seek, if you knock, won't he do it? Won't he give you his spirit if you ask him? Won't he do that for you? This is the father of our prayer. Do you know this father? He's a good, good father. He's not like the, the evil fathers that you've seen around. He's not like even, he's better than even the best of the fathers you, you can even imagine. Do you know him? <laughs> Do you know him as your child? Do you approach him as a father? As a, as a child who is beloved because you are. We've said this before, right? When he said to Jesus, this is my beloved son. With him I'm well pleased. He says the same thing to you in Jesus. Do you believe that? You are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter. With you I am well pleased. Some of us long to hear words like that from people that we look up to and respect, but you have it when, from the person whose attitude matters the most. Almighty God yeah. looks at you and says that very same thing. That is the Father that you have. That's the Father that we're called to pray to. And maybe there's somebody here that looks at that and says, you say that he will, but how do I know? How can I know that he will give these good gifts when I ask for them? How can you know? What does Paul say in Romans 8? If God is what? If God is for us, who will be against us? And what's the evidence that God is for us? He who didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? How, how do we know that God's going to give us the Holy Spirit if we ask him? Because he already gave us his son. Jesus Christ. That's the evidence. Do you believe it today? Lord, teach us to pray. Let's pray. Thanks for listening and God bless.